Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to welcome our speaker for tonight, Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm so nervous, so I'm just say that. And I'm like, looking out in the room, I see so many familiar faces, which is both comforting and nerve-wracking. So, um, thank you for asking me to speak. I really appreciate it. And I will just stick with the format, I guess. I came into the rooms about eight and a half years ago. At the time, I was about 70 pounds more than I am now. And I have um, a little over six years of abstinence currently. So it's been um, an interesting road in the program and certainly an interesting one coming to the program. I'm passing around some pictures because um, I like to see um, the visual, although the tape can't see the visual, but I I think that I started off as a compulsive overeater, or I was I was born to have an addiction. I think I, I was um, I'm a nervous person and I'm an anxious person and I have a lot of fear and a lot of um, discomfort. And so really early on, the the substance that I found was food. So, um, you know, my early childhood was a, had a lot of um, uncertainty in it. My parents divorced when I was really young. There were a lot of changes and moves. And, you know, I could come from a very loving family. I'm, you know, I still have good relationships with my parents. Um, I know that they love me and they did the best that they could. But I didn't, I didn't get what I needed to, to develop a sense of, safety and well-being and okayness. And I don't know if maybe that would have happened anyway. Maybe that's just my, my genetic nature. I'm not sure. But um, my my compulsive eating started um, probably around the age of eight or nine. Um, I don't have a specific, I don't have real specific memories of being really young um, and going to the food, but I do know that around the age of eight or nine um, in my family, in my pictures, um, my body started to change, and that's really when I have memories of of the food doing something for me that nothing else did, which was calm my um, anxiety, basically, and my discomfort. So, I'm going to breathe. <laughs> so nervous. Okay. So, um, so that's when my, my eating career took off, and, and I... I'm, I guess, a garden variety compulsive overeater. I have never been anorexic, and I have never been bulimic, not for lack of trying, but it, it never worked for me, and, I, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, and I have never really been a very good dieter either. So my story was that I, I was, became very sneaky around food, and I ate, and I just needed to eat all the time. I needed to just be consuming all the time. And so the weight went on, and I got attention for that. It was negative attention, but I got attention for it. And so um, it it reinforced this idea that I came up with, and I don't know where this came from, but that I was not enough the way that I was, that I 
And it's something that I still, to this day, really struggle with. Like, I am not enough the way that I am. Um, that's what my head tells me. And I thought that at a very young age, and when my family paid so much attention to trying to fix me and trying to, you know, change me and find a solution to this, you know, horrible problem that I had, it just gave me the sense that, see, I'm not enough. And I, to this day, will find evidence all the time on a daily basis that proves that, you know, it's like that in science, the hypothesis, and you, you find all these evidence, these ways that, that it's true, and I can really twist, like, any situation around, right, you know, in my life today to be evidence to, to that. And so a lot of the work in this program has been to, um, to counteract that, um, well, I think the first action, the first work in this program was to just put down the food, to put down the, the thing that was numbing me, and then the, the next level for me has been in trying to um, combat that, that really loud voice in my head that's constantly telling me that I'm not enough, that, you know, see, I mean, I'll give you an example of today. I, I had to work today. It's Saturday. Um, and I rarely, rarely have to work on Saturday. I was asked to come in. I didn't want to, but I said okay, and I went. And um, I was at this work site, and there wasn't much for me to do, and I was bored. And I was, and someone else called me um, from another work site and asked if I could come there when I was finished at this site and cover for her because she had to leave early. And I really didn't want to do that. And I, and I said I, you know, I wasn't planning to work that late. I really need to, you know, I, I'd like to be done earlier, and, and she was like, okay, and I, I got the sense she was disappointed, and, and we hung up the phone, and not five minutes later, I called her back and said, I'm really sorry, if you need my help, I'll come, and she said, no, 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 it's okay, but in the, in the, in the five minutes, my head told me that I was being selfish, and, you know, that I wasn't a good co-worker, and that I was, you know, only cared about me, and, you know, looking back, I, just, you know, a few hours later, like, I know that those things aren't true, but in, in those moments sometimes, I still really struggle with wanting to be a, you know, please people, have people like me, you know, I want to do for other people, but what I've discovered is that the doing for other people is not always really about doing for them. It's about, you know, it's about making myself feel like I'm okay. So it's just, it's just a constant, um, it's a constant work in progress, I guess. So I wrote, I, I, I have my big book with me, and before I came in, I was writing um, some things down that popped out at me. I'm doing a big book workshop right now, which has been really transformative, um, and I recommend it to anybody who has the access or availability to, to, to do something like this where you really look in depth at the big book, because I, you know, was in the program, you know, seven years before I did that, and I'd read, I'd read the big book, and I'd you know, work the steps, but I'm seeing it in a very different different way. And one of the things that I wrote in the column somewhere in here was that I overate because I liked the way it made me feel. Um, and the feeling was elusive, though. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't hold on to it. So I had to repeat the overeating to get the feeling. And so that's kind of where I was when I came here. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough, you know, I... I couldn't get enough food to make me feel okay. I couldn't, I couldn't eat enough, and I 
And so that's when I hit bottom. Like, it wasn't working anymore because it worked for a really long time. It worked to numb me out from my fears and anxieties and my feelings. Um, and it also worked to physically put on so much weight that there was a great barrier between you and me. And, you know, the false – I also wrote down that um, – the falsity of that was that this is making me feel better, and the truth was that this is killing me, and I couldn't tell the difference. Um, and that's, that was really painful, you know. It's like I, I needed that. And so I learned that I have to be separated from, you know, foods and behaviors in order to start recovering. And the behaviors part of it for me is really important because a lot of my compulsive eating history had to do with um, sneaking food and lying about food and denying and I mean you I couldn't be the weight that I had been without eating all the time but I you know I, I was I was you know denying that to myself and to other people you know so back to my story I um I basically just ate my way through you know once I started I ate my way through middle school and high school and college I did some diets in there here and there the only ones that worked for me were the kind where, you know, they gave you the food to eat and, or, you know, it was like counting points or calories or um, eventually I did one that involved taking drugs. That really worked for me. And um, that um, – and it, I only stopped doing it because they took it off the market because people were, like, having heart problems. And luckily I didn't have those problems, but that, I didn't – I was didn't stop because, it you know, because of – of me I stopped because someone told me I had to and every time I attempted one of those diet programs the minute I stopped the diet program whether it's because I you know couldn't do it anymore or it was taken away from me the weight just came back plus so um, dieting was not a successful experience or enjoyable experience not not that it's enjoyable for anybody but I know there are people who are like dieters that that wasn't me so um so at, you know, 27 when I came in here, I I had, you know, like I said, I went through high school, I graduated from college, I had a job, I had an apartment. I On the outside, I kind of looked like I was doing okay, but I was absolutely miserable. I was lonely, um, I was hopeless, I really felt like there was no future for me. And, um, you know, I had a family that I was close to, which was great, but I didn't have friendships that were really close because I didn't know how to be a friend and I didn't know how to, I didn't attract people to me who, you know, could be good friends to me. I mean, so I came into OA. Um, I had actually gone to some meetings a number of years, maybe like five or six years earlier when I was a senior in college. And, uh, I had been given a big book by a relative of mine who had been in a 12-step program, and I went to these meetings, and I didn't get it at all. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. I don't know what they were talking about. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel welcome. This was in another state. It was on my college campus, but everybody who was at that meeting were, were like, pe women from the community, so I felt really like someone was going to see me, or I it was just not, I wasn't ready. So I came back, you know, many years later due to the urging of a therapist, and that first meeting that I finally came back to, it was a feeling that I'd never had before, which was that I felt like I belonged, and I'd never felt that way before. So 
that that feeling of belonging and connecting and feeling like I fit somewhere became a, 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 in that moment a little more powerful than than the, the overeating did the the feeling that the overeating gave me and so I started coming to meetings I um I got a sponsor in the first like six or seven months in program I did not get abstinent, and I had a few different sponsors, you know, just trying it out, but I kept coming back, and I really, for the first time in my life, felt like some hope. So uh, about seven months in, I met somebody who helped me get abstinent, and that was the, that was like the moment where things really started clicking for me. The moment that someone basically said to me, I believe that you can do it, and you don't have to believe it, but here's a plan, and if you're willing to follow this plan, you know, I trust that it will work. And I was, I was, I was ready, and I said, okay, and I followed that plan. And I was abstinent for about 19 months, and I lost most of my weight, and then I relapsed. And when I say I relapsed, I didn't ever leave the rooms, and I actually, when I broke my abstinence, I didn't even know I did it at the time. It wasn't until later I was actually sitting in a meeting, and I, it just hit me. I thought, I don't think I'm abstinent. And I turned to the woman next to me, who I didn't know that well, but who had been around a long time, and in the middle of a meeting, I said, can you come outside and talk to me? And she did, and we went outside and we talked, and afterwards I called my sponsor, and um, and it was determined, um, ma- mainly through sponsor direction, that I should start my time over, which I did, which I wasn't happy about, but I did. And that was, um, you know, six plus years ago. So in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter if I have six years or eight years of abstinence. It really doesn't. You know, it matters that today I'm abstinent. And, you know, I've had a really funky time with food lately. Um, it's been really up and down. I was talking to my sponsor today. Um about it because I was feeling really self-conscious about speaking, you know, knowing that my food has not been what I would consider, you know, clean is the word I use that some people don't care for, but it's what makes sense to me. And, you know, all I all I can offer is, you know, my experience, I've been here a while, that's what I've experienced is that I have periods of, like, grace from the food and from the body obsession, and I have periods where I don't, where I just, you know find ways in which to use food to soothe me you know that's what it does it soothes me um and and i and now i do it with an abstinence and and that's better that's better than before but it's it's not perfect you know there's a quote there's a line in the big book i wrote down here it's on page 13 it says belief in god plus enough willingness honesty and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements you know, in here, when I when I circled enough, I, the thing I wrote above it, which someone must have, you know, told me, was that um, enough, we don't have to do it perfectly, 51%. You know, 51% is, is more than, you know, halfway. It's like, it's, it's enough. And that's what, uh, exactly what I needed to read today, is that I, I'm not perfect. I am willing, and I I want a different way. I want a different way. So I finally got a sponsor that I was able to work the steps with, and I have worked the steps a few times now. And through this workshop that I'm in, that some people here are in as well, I am working the steps um, another time. I don't know if it's my third or my fourth or whatever, and I'm doing it very thoroughly. 
Um, and I'm on the fourth step right now, and it's uncomfortable. You know, I am really looking at my resentments, and um, now I'm looking at my fears, and it's very uncomfortable. And so I find ways in which to use food to quell that anxiety. I really do. And the best thing I have today is that I'm willing to come to a meeting and say that to you, and that I'm willing to call my sponsor and say that to her. Before OA, I had my life, it was all secrets. It was all about, like, hiding and denying and pretending. And the thing that program, I think, has given me the most is this ability to, you know, tell the truth, even if it's ugly, even if I don't like the way it looks. You know, I'm just very grateful for that. And through the this step work that I'm now doing, you know, I have found a new level of sort of powerlessness and willingness. And and the thing that I the things that I am powerless over today, I am powerless over compulsive eating. And I am powerless over negative thinking. I'm powerless over other people. I'm powerless over my body. And I'm powerless over fear of the future. And I'm probably powerless over other things too, but but when I came in here, I was powerless over food. Food ruled my life. You know, I couldn't, I had no control, no um, ability to not take that next bite. And today, I'm powerless over a lot more things, but I have a lot more freedom, too, in, in admitting that powerlessness. I just have so much more freedom. So, so I, and I'm also grateful. I'm really grateful. And program has given me connections to people that I never had before. You know, I have friends in here who I I can connect with. And I and like I had said earlier, I never had that before. And and I like I've said a couple times, I'm close to my family, but I don't connect with my family in the same way I connect with people in here. Um, just, you know, just last week I was having a hard time and, you know, I, I talked to program people about it and I didn't feel better, but I felt heard. And I talked to my mom about it and I felt worse, you know. And my mom felt really bad and then I felt bad, you know. But it's like... I can't, I can't, I don't know what the, the solution to that is. You know, I really don't. It's, you know, because I want to have close relationships with my family and I want to be able to share with them. But my mom, my mom is a wonderful person, but she doesn't, she doesn't have a program. You know, and, and I can communicate in a very different way with people in program, you know, than I can with anybody else. And, um, it's really, you know, it's a beautiful thing to have. So I'm just, I'm a work in progress, I guess. And and so is, you know, and, and I'm trying to remember that everybody else is a work in progress, too. You know, we're all, we're all just on our own path, you know, tr- trying to be the best people that we can be. And um, sometimes I clash with other people's paths, but, you know, that's, that's okay. It's a learning, it's a learning process. I truly believe that, you know, I have an allergy. I have an allergy to certain foods, and I have an allergy to compulsive eating. And it's really interesting, this idea of having an allergy to behaviors. You know, I think that my behaviors, even more than actual food, affects my relationship with food, um, if that if that makes sense. I'll give you another example from this week. You know, I, I was at work the other day, and there was this free item of food on the, you know, on one of the tables, and it's like it can happen in a moment that you, it's like you take that first bite, and, and I have 
no control over stopping the behavior around that. And it was a really, it was a good reminder for me. And, you know, the thing that I'm still learning is that when those moments happen, that the person that I can ask for help from is God, is my higher power. I am learning how to have a more steady relationship with my higher power. I believe that I have a higher power. I believe that there is something bigger out there than me. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it works. Part of me even even feels like I'm kind of an agnostic. Like I, but I'm the I'm the kind of agnostic that doesn't really know but chooses to believe. I think most times we think about agnostics as people who don't really know and then choose not to believe because if you can't know, then how can you believe? I'm kind of the other way around. Like I don't have any idea if there's actually a higher power or God or whatever, but I believe that when I take a moment to stop, to to breathe, to ask for help, to um, you know, take a deep breath, it's always better. You know, it always I always get like some some relief and some peace and and the chance to do it differently. You know, from that moment on. So um, it, I'm I'm working on that. You know, that is definitely a work in progress for me. I got so much time, and I'm not sure what what else I want to say. Um, I don't know. HP, higher power, my higher power. Ask my higher power for help. <laughs> um, I'm just really grateful. I'm really, really grateful. I'm, you know, my life today is. It's a great life, you know. It's a great life that is not super different than the life I had before I came here eight years ago. I still have, uh, you know, I still have a good job. I was thinking, is it the same job? No, it's a different job. But it's a, I have a good job. I have a beautiful home. I have wonderful friends. Like I said, I have good relationships with my family for the most part. I have so many amazing opportunities, and I can appreciate it today, you know. And I still have a lot of fear and anxiety about the future. I think that's the one that, you know, I need the most help with for my higher power these days. I need, you know, my higher power to... I need to ask my higher power for relief from anxiety about the future, from fear about what will be next and what will happen and, you know, what I don't have or where I think I should be, both, you know, with my body, with my relationships, you know, with my money, all of it. Um, so I'm, I'm actually, I mean, it's really early, but I, I'm having a hard time kind of knowing where to go next, so I want to just open it up to questions because maybe your questions will help me you know, to cover some of the things that I'm not thinking of. So, who has a question? Thank you so much. Um, could you talk a little bit about your relationship with your sponsor and how you work with her on a daily basis? Sure. So the question was um, if I could talk about my sponsor and how I work with my sponsor on a daily basis. I've had a few different sponsors, long-term sponsors in the program, um, and they've all been somewhat different. And the sponsor I have now, I love her, and she's here, and I appreciate her. And um, the thing that is, has been, I think, the most important part of me, my relationship with my sponsor now, is that I have... Um, regular contact with her. We have a set time that I talk to her or that I call her each day. And, and when I say a set time, I not I don't have to call every day. 
But at that time, if I choose to call, you know, 95% of the time she's available to answer. And we talk. We, I tell her about what's going on. I tell her what's happening in my mind, in my day, in my life. And she knows me. And she's really able to be a voice of reason and sanity um, that I that I don't have access to in my own brain. And there's such comfort knowing that at six o'clock at night, if I pick up the phone and make you know dial that number, someone on the other end will not only answer the phone, but and this is her word, be delighted to talk to me. There, that's such an amazing feeling, you know, and just to have that place to go. And so, because I'm in this workshop right now, I'm working the steps through the um, direction of this workshop, although um, when it is time to do some, you know, giving over of my steps, like my fifth step, I will do it with my sponsor. And she's somebody who, all of the all of the sponsors, like, really I've had three main sponsors, and I've had other people sort of in between here and there, you know, seeing if it would work, um, but three main sponsors. And the thing that has been the m- most powerful to me is that they, uh, my sponsor knows everything about me, everything. And she still loves me, and she still wants to talk to me, and she's still happy when I call. And I feel like there's nothing I can't say to her and that was the case with my other two sponsors as well and I've never had a relationship like that like I again I've talked about my mom I know that my mom loves me and I know that my mom would do anything for me but when I tell my mom things I don't feel like there's not uh, some judgment or agenda or energy there whereas I can tell my sponsor anything and she'll say to me thank you for sharing with me and then she'll say to me do you want some feedback and I can say no you know, and, and or I can say yes, you know, and the feedback I get from her is generally very helpful. So, yeah. Could you say a few words about what your program looks like on a daily basis? Sure. What does my program look like on a daily basis? Well, my my program on a, I'm I'm a person who has generally gone to goes to a lot of meetings. Um, meetings are really helpful to me. And one of the things I, other things I wrote down is um, the reason for meetings is that so newcomers can find fellowship. Um, take your mess to your sponsor and the message to your meeting, which I love. And even though I'm not technically a newcomer, I find meetings to be really helpful. So I don't go to meetings daily, and lately I've been, been not able to get to as many, but that's been um, a really big part of my regular program. And the call to my sponsor um, is a pretty regular occurrence. I, I try hard to be consistent about that, and I get calls from two sponsees as well on a daily basis. Um, and that's been helpful. I am not currently doing um, like any kind of morning routine or or prayer meditation. Um, I have in the past, and it's been really helpful to me. And when I do it on the mornings where I get up and I you know take a few minutes to read from one of our daily meditations or take a few minutes in quiet you know reflection or do some writing. I always have a better day. And that's actually, to me, this is, I've said this before, this is the nature of my disease, is that when I do those things, I have a great, I have a better day. But I don't do that, do it every day. Like, that's my disease right there. And so, you know, my, my, um, my daily relationship to my program is, is really about connections to other people at this point. It's about connections to people and, 
And it's about, you know, being abstinent, and it's about, you know, in those times of need, you know, working on that pause, asking for help. Um, and it's a work in progress. Hey, um, thank you so much for your talk. I really did a lot. Um, how do you define your abstinence, and then do you have, like, a big plan that's separate from your abstinence? Sure. Okay. Okay. So, um... What what is my abstinence and is my food plan different or what is my food plan and then what happened when I broke my abstinence? What did that look like? Well, I guess I'll start backwards, which is that my my initial food my initial abstinence when I came in was um when I got abstinent, I should say, that first time was pretty restrictive because it was a weight-losing abstinence. And, and it was no bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes, you know, the big bad carbs. It was three meals a day, nothing in between. And um, it wasn't no sugar, but I remember battling with my food sponsor at the time about sugar because he would always say to me, like, well, where's the nutritional value in that? So it wasn't as if I couldn't have it, but it, but it wasn't really... It wasn't on my abstinence list. And I've, I've never really had, like, a separate, necessarily abstinence from food plan. It's all sort of, it's more now than before, I, there's some differentiation, but it's always pretty much been the same for me. So that was my abstinence then. Um, and, again, going back to what I said earlier about it's really more about behavior than food. The, the way I ate helped me lose weight because I was eating less food and I wasn't eating carbs. That helped, that helped me lose weight. Um, when I broke my abstinence, I was on a family vacation. We were in Hawaii. I found myself finding ways to have little kind of things in between meals, and they were generally sweet things. So I, I remember I was sitting on the beach, and my sister, who is 10 years younger than me, you know, three inches taller than me and skinny, you know, has been skinny all her life, ordered a milkshake. Um, on the beach, we're sitting there, and we're sitting next to each other, and then she takes a few sips, and she went off to do something, and there's that milkshake sitting there, and I, you know, maybe it was even right after lunch, I sort of, you know, took some sips of that milkshake, and then, it, and that, and it was like that one thing just kind of started it off, so once I did that, you know, then I found one day a reason that I needed to go up to the room, and, and in the room was some candy, and I had a, a few pieces of candy, and one day we went to the movies, and I said, I need to get a, you know, a Starbucks before the movie, so I did, but I also got, you know, a little something else, and and that, and then I, and I wasn't telling anybody, and I didn't tell anybody about it. So when I got back from this trip, I was, there were also other things going on in my life that I was feeling really ashamed about, and I wasn't telling anybody about other behaviors and relationships that weren't, that weren't good, and I wasn't being honest about. So when I got back, I w- again, I went to a meeting, and I was sitting in that meeting, and I just knew in the pit of my stomach, um, that it wasn't, it wasn't right. And not only did I, come clean about the food and those behaviors, I came clean about the other behaviors, you know, the other things that were happening in my life that weren't making me feel good about myself. One of the sayings that I love in the rooms is that the way to build self-esteem is through esteemable acts. And that is that is important to me because I don't have inherent self-esteem. It doesn't come from within. But when I do esteemable acts when I'm honest that makes me feel good about myself so to make 
a long story longer, I guess. Um, now, so when I broke my abstinence and I started over, I, I, I felt like I couldn't maintain that, that restriction. I mean, I hadn't eaten those food items for, at that point, it was like 19 months. You know, I really, actually, I think I did maintain it for another maybe six months, and I just couldn't do it anymore. It felt too restrictive. It felt too... I, I just, I couldn't eat another chicken salad. You know what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't eat it as my, like, sole source of, of you know, nourishment. And so at that point, I had a, had a newish sponsor, and her big thing was, like, real food three times a day. And so I started, like, transitioning myself back to, like, just having real food. Like, having a sandwich was not a crime against nature, you know? So, like... And I have to say, I gained some weight during that process. Like, I definitely put some of the weight back on. I had, I had lost, you know, a, a fair amount of weight more than I had, than I am, where I am now. And so probably over the first year of reintroducing, you know, other foods back into my diet, I put some weight on, and I've stayed now where I am for the last probably, like, five years or six years. So my abstinence today is three meals and a couple of snacks if I need them, and really I kind of try to um, measure that by time. So if more than, you know, three or four hours has gone without eating, you know, and I'm not going to be eating my next meal for another couple of hours, I can, I'll have a snack. And a year into my new abstinence, I gave up sugar because although I didn't find that sugar was my, um, my drug of choice before, it, I was really like a carb volume eater. Um, it was... It was when I gave up those foods that sugar found its way in. So now it's now I don't eat sugar. So I have, you know, over five years off sugar. Um, my food plan varies kind of on a day-to-day basis. If I'm feeling really yucky about my body, I will eat less carbs, you know, because that will help me feel less full, less whatever. But, I, but you know, then I'll have a, a sandwich on whole wheat bread or I'll have some brown rice. Like, I'm, it's not that um, restrictive anymore. Um, what's been the hardest thing to turn over to my higher power? It, my negative thinking. I really am struggling with that actually now. You know, writing this fourth step this time has been really challenging because, you know, in the fourth step you write, it's actually funny. I know the fourth step, you know, it's, you know, it's about writing your resentments down, you know, but it's about, it's, a, it's really about like your, your, Resentments. It's not about what the other people did. So for the first time, like, I'm like, oh, this is about me. This is about, like, what my part is and what I've held on to. And what I'm finding is that as I'm writing it, once again, I'm using this evidence as proof of what a bad person I am. Look, see, over and over again, I did, I was jealous. I kept people at a distance because I, 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 I'm seeing that a lot in my, rather than just seeing it for what it is, I, my mind goes, see, you're worth, you know, you're worthless, you're bad, you're not a good friend, you're this, you're that. So it was when I, like, exposed myself and started talking about it that I started to get a little relief from it, but that is the hard, that has been the hardest thing for me is to, is to, let go of what my mind tells me is absolutely true and 99% of the time it's negative.